and welcome to Deep Cuts Live. I'm your host, Antoine Reed. Tonight, we have a great interview for you. Tonight, we're going to be talking to Ernesto Padilla. He is the owner of Padilla Cigars. So this is a cigar brand that's been in the industry for now for 20 years. So obviously, in that 20-year span, Ernesto has seen a lot. He's done a lot in the industry. So we're going to really focus today on what's kind of changed in the cigar industry within those 20 years. Let's get into the interview. Well, welcome to Deep Cuts Live, Ernesto. Finally, I've been chasing after you for, uh, I would say a year, maybe a little bit more. But I'm yeah, glad, I to, have you on. <laughs> I'm glad to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, definitely. Like when I think of some of the OGs, as I call them, of the cigar industry, Ooh. I know that you, your company started, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but started back in 2003. Correct. So, yeah you are definitely OG status when it comes to the cigar industry. And I remember going to some of my first IPSPR, now PCA trade shows, and Medea having this humongous booth. I think you all used to have a car in, in the booth or something like that. It was such a big deal. And so there's always great excitement and, and interest around your brand. Um, so when I was putting the deep cuts together, I said, Ernesto's one of those people I want to have on here because you can read his story, but to, he to hear you tell it is far more compelling, I think, than sitting there reading a 2,000-word story. Well, I, I enjoyed uh, – you did an article uh, almost two years ago, mm -hmm. uh, which I enjoyed. Uh, we, we uh, you know, the questions were, uh, were interesting and, and different than uh, some of them uh, I've gotten in the past. So I was, I was kind of – I was like, yeah, I'd like to talk to him again because it was refreshing. You, over 20 years, you do, you know, you have to get out there and you have to talk to, I don't know, what do you call it, the press or whatever, uh, you know, get your, your story out there. And um, and nothing against the other people, but it just seemed like, you know, I was kind of regurgitating myself and, and this. And, and I was like, okay, that's, that's, that's cool. But then you asked some interesting questions, which I had to kind of stop and think about. And that was refreshing. Yeah, so I thought a good way to start this was because we talked a little, a little bit about this when we first um, connected and before we went live. But what question do you get asked the most that this kind of that when you hear it, you go, this question again? <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, besides the obvious, you know, uh, your story, your background, and things like that. I mean, um, uh, it's twenty years. Um, I haven't done uh, too many of these interviews in a while. I think maybe the last one was for Cigar Aficionado, some other magazine out there, and that was their online thing. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, since my brand is, uh, I mean, I'm Cuban. I was born in Cuba and left when I was six years old. Uh, you know, I get asked a lot about the, uh, the history of the brand and, and, and its connection to Cuba. So, and there's nothing mm -hmm. I... I I like to talk about that. There's nothing wrong with that. It's part of our history. So. Yeah, I was reading some of your other interviews that you did, um, especially with Cigar Aficionado. And I know that you, when you said you wanted to start your own brand, that you wanted to make something that was traditional. And it made me pause. And I was like, so what is traditional in your definition? Well, um, the, um, somebody uh, actually... Uh, in Europe, where we, we, we've sold now for uh, over a decade, uh, said it was a, 
they described it as kind of a traditional new wave. I was like, what the heck is, uh, <laughs> what is that? I uh, mean, you know, um, you know, some of the packaging is a little uh, different in some respects. Now here's a Miami box. Here's a finest hour box. So you can kind of start there. Here's a Padilla 88th anniversary, which is one of the top 25 cigars a year in 2021. Kind of a, a classic uh, box, but it has a picture of my father there with, I got this right, but Hemingway. Um, and then, you know, an, another traditional box. This is for Italy. Look at this big space here for the warning label uh, <laughs> we're working on. Or, or another one, which is uh, actually just arrived in France, ironically, in different European countries. This is the uh, Padilla Barcelona. Uh, but as far as cigar itself, um, it's 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 definitely a, a, there's a focus on uh, Cuban seeds. Um, on uh, definitely uh, to me, uh, when you say uh, a cigar, I think of a certain style wrapper, a Cuban seed wrapper, whether it's Corojo, Criollo. Um, those are like the foundation to me. Um, even though in this country, Connecticut is still by far the number one selling wrapper. Um, to me, that was that to me is. Something I look at maybe other people's portfolio, how they do a, uh, a Habano, uh, Corojo, Criollo. And by the way, uh, let me, because I, I mentioned Habano. And then there is Habano 2000. There's different Habano wrappers. That's kind of a name. But under the umbrella of Habano, there's Criollo and Corojo, these seeds that came from Cuba. And then Maduro is is, is a kind of a sort of a style of cigar like uh, Broadleaf. Uh, uh, has uh, is grown in Connecticut River Valley, but it's different than Connecticut Shade. I'm sure people who've been smoking for a while might know that. But when I say Habano, I kind of encompass everything under that. And then Sumatra is whoa. There's a seed that took a, a you know a trip around the world and uh, originally a Cuban seed, then brought over to Indonesia, and then now it's been brought back to Ecuador, uh, where um, it's it's a fantastic wrapper. Um, so I don't know where that one falls, but, um, you know, the word Cubanesque is used so much. And during the cigar boom um, in the 90s, everybody was wearing the Cuban shirt, the white wear, the little hat and trying to be more Cuban than the other guy, uh, Cuban and Cuban. And now it's funny because uh, in the United States in particular, you know, it's kind of an afterthought, if you will. Um, mm -hmm. Now it's almost uh, um, Cuba's still synonymous with cigars. You know, let's be honest. Uh, but you see from the packaging, the marketing, the lifestyle, it's more uh, 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 unconventional than than what is the norm and things like that. Um, you know, there's uh, I don't want to. I'm trying to. There's some unconventional packaging where people have done things to the cigar to make it stand out on the shelf and things like that. You know, uh, the the packaging on our cigars, people really enjoy the classic uh, look of the cigars, but it's not necessarily something that's like, ah, you know, and, and right. I try to convey that our roots are Cuban. The people we work with, uh, uh, if you come to our office here, you know, in the front here, the, the pictures on the wall from uh, a friend of mine took in Nicaragua of our... Uh, Friend Arsenio Ramos, who was an agronomist for Aganorsa, Cuban, 80-something. Jacinto, another. He's still alive. He's still down there um, in Nicaragua. So those guys are like 
the Cuban style of of doing certain things is definitely our, uh, our approach in, in certain respects. Cuban cigars have floundered uh, for different reasons. A long conversation later on, but the soil and terroir, the climate and the soil, it is extremely unique um, uh, in in the cigar world. It, but they're not they're not where it was once, and that's a that's a whole thing. But um, yeah, we. I'm Cuban. Uh, the people I've worked with have been uh, Cuban. Uh, you know, when we first started, it was with Pepin Garcia. And that kind of, in 2002, right before I started, I met him. Uh, someone introduced me to him. He had a little place on uh, 8th Street. Um, and uh, he was making the cigars that I was looking for. Back then, uh, details such as like the triple cap, uh, on the head of the cigar and tubado, things like that. They weren't really done uh, uh, in the United States, really. I mean, uh, he kind of brought that over. And those small details um, are important, were important, are important to me. Um, and, you know, now you've seen other people kind of take that on. But, you know, as you know, in Nicaragua, the rollers work in pairs. So mm -hmm. the person who does the filler doesn't do the wrapper. So the the roller is not a hundred percent connected to the finished product. Um, and here, for example, where you still make the Padilla Miami now at El Titan de Bronce on eighth street, uh, um, you see the Cubans, they, they absolutely do not want to work in pairs. They want to be responsible for the finished product. And that means the production goes from in a factory in Nicaragua, making, let's say 500 cigars a day to like a hundred, 120 cigars a day. So you see the difference there. Right. Now, what inspired you or what really get, gave you that idea that you wanted to have your own brand? I, uh, well, growing up with, uh, you know, uh, a family that uh, was in the business in Cuba and my father always smoking cigars around me the whole time, even though he wasn't per se in the business. His family was in the business in Cuba. He talks about it in his interviews. Um, you know, growing up in uh, Puerta de Golpe in Pinar del Rio, Cuba, where his family were tobacco growers on the land and uh, sold uh, to the major uh, brands in Havana. Um, there was kind of a little bit of romance. Um, I was in my late 20s and uh, I was kind of trying to figure out like, OK, what do I want to do? <laughs> like you're getting to that age where you got to get serious about what you want to do. I was a creative person. I did graphic design for ad agencies and work with marketing people in that world. And um, I, I would always go to the cigar shop at the time I was living in the DFW area. Um, and uh, I, I enjoyed the um, camaraderie of the business. Um, mm -hmm. uh, this is right after a cigar boom. So what was left was like, you know, serious cigar smokers at that time. But I, I thought I could take my talents and really put them to work in, in the cigar business. And not only that, but I looked at it and I would have told anyone with my story to say, and you, you need to tell your story. Back then uh, in uh, 2000, 2002, around that time, it was the end of the cigar boom. Uh, the word boutique cigar really wasn't really... Uh, thrown around much um i think people were kind of almost done with the cigar business or those that just got in because it was a hot business at the moment and everybody was going down to 
Nicaragua or Central America, you know, um, you know, Dominican, mostly Dominican, I should say at the time. And, um, but I, I fell in love with the business like most people, uh, who's started. I mean, um, it wasn't, uh, a, a thought out business decision per se. Uh, I know, uh, I see all these motivational speakers now, uh, <laughs> out there uh, that say, don't follow your passion. You're an idiot. Do not follow your passion. I saw what you're about to do. Listen, I don't know. I'm not a businessman. Um, <laughs> I'm a person, uh, yeah, 20 years of having a business. Yeah, maybe that, I've gotten there. It's like, I can tell you this. If I didn't follow my passion, I would not have been able to endure and, and sustain myself for 20 years. Um, it, I think it, it's essential to me, at least, to to have something uh, that you are passionate about, because businesses are hard, as uh, as most of you know, uh, and there's going to be some challenging times, uh, and uh, you're going to want to give up if it's just about the money. Um, many times, you're going to want to just say, okay, that didn't work. Uh, let me, uh, what about the, uh, you know, the donut business or whatever? Uh, you know, as a matter of fact, I had a friend of mine, he came a uh, good friend. He was, he used to be one of my uh, very good sales reps um, at a sales force. And maybe like eight years ago, he was like, I'm getting in the vape business. This thing is huge and this and that, you know, you should try it out. I'm like, <laughs> I remember telling him, I go, you know, I suck. I'm stuck. Uh, you know, uh, I, 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 I don't have any interest in vape or any of that. I, I, uh, I, I couldn't do it. I would be, you know, the, the first uh, moment of, of challenges, I would probably be out of it. Um, mm -hmm. So I would say, you know, a lot of people get into it for different reasons. There's people get into it. It's like, oh, that'd be cool to, to have my own brand. And they kind of dabble in it while they have other jobs. And that's fine. Um, you know, I did that uh, when I when I was with, I worked with Perdomo Cigars for a year. Wanted to get a feel for the industry, which is much different than it was back then. So I wanted to see if this was something I really wanted to jump into. I I actually started the brand um, when I was at Perdomo, and we were like, "You can't do that." You know, they never nick right now. What are you doing? You know, and and believe it. But then I I uh, I said, "Yeah, um, uh, being a little ignorant, being a little passionate." Uh, being a little naive and having a little bit of luck have to kind of combine uh, to, um, to, to, to make things happen. But uh, passion is, for me, what makes you persevere, what makes you uh, sustain yourself. Um, you know, uh, behind me, you know, actually, um, there's uh, the Navy SEAL Foundation, some other things, some, some, some people that are very high stress intense uh, uh, lines of businesses that I've met throughout the years. That's what I have. I don't even have cigar pictures. These are all, well, I have the plaques that you get from winning the cigar aficionado one that things over there. But one of the things I've seen from these guys is, uh, you know, uh, a lot of uh, people that get into that, you know, special forces world or whatever, um, uh, top athletes and things like that. Uh, when they're, when they're forced to go through this intense training, uh, it's more about the mental, uh, the intensity of the mental pressure they put you in. And a lot of them fail because they've been so used to being top athlete and all this and all that. But the intensity 
uh, it's designed more for like uh, clearing out those who don't really want it bad enough. And if you, mm-hmm. if you, I'm not saying I'm anywhere near close to what those people do. I've been fortunate to see their their work and their training. Uh, but um, it is interesting to always talk to them. Um, and uh, I had a friend of mine, Eric. Uh, he was a master chief. He was in for like twenty something years as a ma- as a Navy SEAL. And he was a SEAL instructor. Um, and I remember asking him when we were having some drinks, I go, Eric, uh, is there a particular time when people quit uh, SEAL training? Have you noticed like that or whatever? He goes, you know, interesting thing is in our training, people can quit at any time. They can ring the bell at any time. Cling, 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 cling. You know, you might look bad, feel bad, but, you know, you go back to the fleet. No big deal. No harm. This isn't for you. And... Uh, you know, I've had guys in freezing surf in, in, in Coronado down there in Southern California in the winter holding up the log with all these guys. And if you're going to quit, you, you you think they just go, OK, I've had enough. I'm going to quit now or whatever. He said they quit when we when we stop um, uh, that like exercise, whatever it is, you know, might be doing five minutes of craziness or whatever. And then they get like a one minute break and then they have time to think about what's coming next. Mm-hmm. when they're doing it you're doing it you're so busy doing it that you're not thinking about quitting or things like that and uh i remember in 2008 now that we're going through all this crazy kind of you know talking to you in uh 2023 what is it march and you see uh, banks failing and you know i don't think it's anywhere near the same but uh i try to think back like how did i survive that like what happened and I don't recall a lot of it because I was so busy doing what I needed to do. Um, so I would, my, you know, not that advice or whatever, but I would say um, if you're going to get in the cigar business, it's highly competitive, highly saturated, going with regulation, taxation, all these things. Uh, have a plan um, and uh, don't think you know it all. Be open minded um, and, and, you know, find your space, you know, ask yourself some honest questions about, well, what are you bringing to the business? And uh, at that time, nobody had really heard of Pepin Garcia. When uh, at that time, when I was uh, Pepin made very expensive cigars in Miami, I wanted cheaper cigars. And there was this company that made bundles and I enjoyed them called Oliva. Nobody heard of Oliva much at the time. They were just a bundle company. They weren't taken serious. Then after that, in 2007 or, or, or eight or so, I meet uh, AJ Fernandez, uh, we start working together, uh, Raices Cubanas, all these all these kind of factories. So um, that's uh, that's been one of the things I've, I've always enjoyed is working with these different people and seeing mm-hmm. uh, what tobaccos they have that they're, or they're more proficient at or what they focus on and uh, working with them to kind of uh, bring my style uh, out to the end consumer. It sounds like what you're saying is and for the cigar industry to be successful, you need patience and the ability to kind of really stick it out over the years. Like you're not going to see success in year one or two or even three. You might not even see it in the decade. You might see it, you know, um, beyond that point. I mean, that's been the case for most businesses in America, you know, mm-hmm. and we've forgotten that. I think with the tech startup and, you know, five years, you got to you know, have a billion dollar company or this and that. And, um, you know, these companies, whether it's Hewlett Packard started in a garage 
you know, for 70 years ago or even Apple. I mean, he was almost, uh, Steve Jobs was almost done at one point. Um, being a graphic designer, I always worked with Apple. And I remember at the time, I never thought in my life about buying into a company or whatever, sometimes in the 90s. But I, I thought, man, this, this company does have something. And it just so happened I'm next to a guy who sold stocks or something. I said, God, you know, that's an interesting coin. Save your money, kid. That thing's going under. <laughs> Where is that guy? I meet that guy. I don't even, you know, um, uh, you know, and I, and I think even I think you know, Elon Musk or or all these guys or uh, you know whatever you say. Okay, those are like the the big uh, business guys or whatever, and they might say a little different. You know, I know. Um, uh, what's his name? Mark Cuban from the Shark Tank. He's always saying, "Don't follow your passion because of this and that." I don't, I, you know, I, I don't know. I can just tell you for myself. Uh, you know, getting back to that thing, it's business is challenging. It's hard, and and mm -hmm. uh, and and you gotta. You also gotta get up and enjoy what you do in life. You know, even Elon Musk himself famously said, "You know, life cannot always be about problems." You know, it can always. You know, as as I do get up and I am. I pay myself to solve certain problems, you know, um, uh, uh, like whether it's making an expensive cigar like the Padilla Fumas for $1.50, saying, you know, uh, working with, uh, at the time it was with Cigar International, a big company, and they're like, oh, we can just make that anywhere. We just put whatever on it and we just go from there. You know, they were getting at this price to go, oh, let's, let's slow down, you know. Um, let's 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 try to do this right you know and here's here's the challenge you know uh um let's give somebody a great cigar for the money that they're cutting the yard or they're just walking the dog just but you know kick it away but they can still have a nice experience so let's 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 start saving the let's work for the factory that is really um not just throwing any blend in there but actually separating uh, uh visos and the heralds when when the trimmings come and let's try to make a really good uh cigar at that price you know we're doing medium filler cuban sandwich so you can't even tell like the little piece coming in your mouth so that was a challenging one to do or uh, i'm not a big connecticut guy but i'm okay how do we uh you know here's my finest hour connecticut i love all the ones i've done several connecticut's how do you um how do you create a cigar uh for uh, uh a cigar smoker that smokes more often than your average person than your average connecticut guy that is going to uh satisfy them but maybe they don't want to you know such a full-bodied cigar at a certain time of the day so you know that was one and things like that or i just you know there's different challenges different things uh um that happen um you know i haven't been successful in all of them for sure uh but i you know i've learned uh several things um, there's different segments to this industry um you know there's making a brand is one segment but then this is a, a very large country and there's no real uh, distribution company per se. That's one thing that's different about the U.S. market, where in uh, places like Europe, uh, a company like Eurotab out of France that does our distribution um, uh, will have its sales force, will have everything. And you know, I, I, I basically, um, which I hope to do uh, this year, you know, come into a, uh, a country or a territory, and the events are set up and everything's set up, and it's. Uh, you know, they buy the cigars from our company 
and then uh, they're responsible for for distributing out, which is very normal in a lot of other industries. What's different in the cigar business is that you have a ton of these little brands that are basically what they're doing is creating small distribution companies for their own product. That gets to be very expensive. Usually the, how the system works is that you can't afford your own sales rep when you're small. So you try to go the independent reps. The independent reps are selling you and this guy's brand and that other brand. And, you know, and then you come in, you go visit a territory. Oh, my God, we did great. Everything's wonderful. You know, you haven't eaten in, you know, two days, you haven't slept, you're running around. And uh, then you leave. And then, of course, the sales taper off because, you know, you did the events, this and that. And then the next guy comes in and, you know, to that territory. And uh, it's just constant uh, game. And it, oh, it was, that was kind of exhausting. I did that for a bit. Um, so, you know, the U.S. market is is different. I've done a, a bit online, uh, something a little differently as the technology evolved. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, I just try to find your groove, your space where you can uh, continue to work in the market. But I forgot what the heck the question was. <laughs> but to, to switch off a little bit, you're talking about how, you know, you have to be in it for the long haul. And at what point did you feel like you were experiencing success in the cigar industry? Like, was there something like in a particular event that happened? Was it, was it just a feeling? Did you accomplish something like a goal that you had set? Like, at what point did you say, yeah. okay, this is success. I'm going to stay in it, you know, continue to do it. Uh, you know, I'm like the worst uh, uh, person for giving uh, any kind of uh, business advice because I just try to, Take it step by step. Mm -hmm. Survive till tomorrow. Survive this week. Survive this month. Survive this year. Keep going. Keep moving forward. Uh, but yeah, look, in 2003, started the company. And uh, at first, you know, making cigars with Ping Garcia, everybody's like, wow, cigars are expensive and this and that. And you can only do so much production. But at the time, you know, his partner, Eduardo Fernandez, he was the owner of uh, what's now called Aganorsa, the brand, but he was a big. Tobacco grower, a smart gentleman, Wharton School of Business grad, Cuban-American, uh, came here at a very young age, uh, a true business person. Um, he uh, he had the resources behind him as far as the tobacco. Factories are great, but factories without tobacco are like, you know, an airplane without an engine. Right. You're not going anywhere. Um, so, uh, uh, I... I I was seeing um, that it was starting to get momentum, and then we got a uh, very high rating for Padilla, Miami. It's around 06, 07. We were in the magazine with high rating. Uh, everything's going great. There was kind of a mini boom in cigars, too. The Padilla, Miami was pretty ex a pretty expensive cigar, uh, around $10, and I came out with the 1932, and then it uh, uh, also Pepin Garcia. I came out, out with the uh, Padilla Habano and things like that. Then in 08, uh, we had the economic collapse and, uh, it was what happened in a way, uh, looking back on it and, and, you know, those of you who own the brand or whatever is that it felt like, uh, like the, the saying, uh, uh, I think Hemingway said it best. Uh, you know, he said, uh, how, you know, how did you, he asked him, how did you go broke? He said, uh, you know, slowly and then all at once. Um, <laughs> And and so it felt like it just whoop, uh, came at you. Sales did not drop off 
um, uh, they did. But what, what I meant was a guy coming in buying a $10 cigar was now looking at the time. $5 was what today's sweet spot is, which is around 8 to 10 maybe. And now really $10 seems to be the sweet spot. And uh, uh, where most cigar volume is moved in the cigar store. So you had to like act quick and get something on the market that was a good product and affordable price. Companies like Oliva really took an, a, a, a leap there where people were discovering and going, wow, this is a good cigar for the money. And then they had this Series V, which at the time was like a $6 cigar. And it was like really helped catapult them. And for myself, the Padilla Miami and the 1932 were definitely uh, two brands. We still make the Miami, still made it here in the uh, <clears throat> Adult Titan de Bronze. It's been named... Uh, uh, as one of the top cigars uh, in Cigar Aficionado twice, once by Peping, the other time by El Titan. So that was kind of nice to see that. Um, yeah, so um, yeah, I would think 07, 08, and then like, you know, somebody pulled the rug and it was like a scramble to see, okay, how do you survive and this and, you know, how to do things. You had to make the decision on like, okay, um, you know, uh, you're, you're, you're pinned down, you're looking down on a cliff this way and you're looking up and there's an army coming at you and it's shooting down upon you. If you stay here, you're going to get killed. You have to, you have to take that leap and jump off that cliff and, and, you know, you might have a chance of surviving that. Um, and, uh, kind of what I did in the, in that cliff was, you know, working with the big online retailers upset some traditional brick and mortar as our industry is very much brick and mortar focused and things like that. But, you know, we do a tremendous volume there, um, kept it going. I still try, you know, keep it going, the brick and mortar, but things were evolving. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I also remember something that uh, a friend of mine, still a good friend of mine in the industry told me, Jonathan Drew from Drew Estate, um he yeah it was like the first trade show i met him at perdomo cigars and he said you know padilla is one advice i can give you and go okay he goes don't try to get big for the sake of getting big mm -hmm. and i go what does he mean he's like he's very complicated what, what does that mean and i think what he was trying to say was like there comes a certain point where every company wants to grow continue to grow and you know but find where you're comfortable at be careful uh because as you grow, you need more people, you need more staff, you need more stuff, you need more capital, you need more and more and more and more. And that's actually where you can slip up worse than when things are tight. Because when things are tight, you're like, okay, you know, let's cut back here, let's head back there, let's focus, you know, let's let's really focus. When money seems to be coming in and things are going all over the place, you're kind of a little bit more loosey, I think, uh, if you're not, you know, careful. Um, so, you know, I definitely learned during the Great Recession, I'm uh, God, I'm tired of learning. Uh, but I guess, uh, you know, uh, you learn the hard way um, and uh, you survive. You go, you, you got your bumps. And then uh, that also reminds me of, I remember uh, Nick Goble from Nick Cigar World was one of my first customers. And I went up to uh, Myrtle Beach to do an event. Great guy. Um, and I remember a big golf guy and I did an event at a golf course with him. It was a dinner. We're sitting, you know, overlooking some golf course there. And you know, nightfall's coming, and he said, you know, Padilla, these are the, the best moments right now. I go, really? Is it really? This is the best moments? Because I'm over here. I drove, like, for my hours. I'm tired. I'm, you know, 
pocket this you know cigars all over the place the sexiness of that you know the business is that's kind of like gone like thank you for having me and i was like he's like no 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 you know uh you you know nobody wants to hear you know oh it was so easy i rolled in everybody loved the cigars everybody's asking for the cigars everybody's like no you, you want to hear you know the challenges and that you persevered and uh you know and 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 that makes that's true it makes you know, a smooth sea never made a great sailor. I don't know if I'm a great sailor, but, uh, um, you know, the cigar business, I also grew up in a, to a certain extent. I mean, I was 28 uh, when I basically started. Yeah, I'm 50 now. Uh, uh, you know, did silly things. And, and you know, I, I'm the type of guy I don't take too many things seriously. I like to poke and mess around with people. I'm like, God, it's just cigars. Relax, you know. People are like, Ah, Padilla, he's crazy, or he's this or that. It's like, dude, because it's it's not it's a business, but is it really? You have a mix of like hobbyists in this business with like large corporations, you know, looking at spreadsheets and da 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 this and that. And well, you know, but they have their place. I mean, just as long as they don't overtake the business you know and then they'll sap the life out of you know the thing mm -hmm. and and here we are we'll all be smoking big versions of marble reds or something you know uh <laughs> it's yeah so you know the the you know the boutique the people who bring the passion that's what keeps the flavor you know uh uh in any in any industry and yes you know small guys turn into big guys and things like that but um you know i i don't know i i'm, I'm still learning 20 years in, obviously you've seen the industry change and you kind of mentioned this in, or kind of touched on it, I should say, in your last response, but um, you're seeing a lot of the boutique industry, part of the cigar industry change and like morph and evolve. Um, like I said, some of the guys who were boutique in the past, they've kind of grown. So it's kind of a question like, can they really call themselves boutique now? And other boutique people, are kind of getting, I don't want to say wrapped up, but they're getting acquired. <laughs> so like from your perspective, like I said, being an OG, being in the industry for, for this many years, like 20 years, like, like how do you feel about the state of the boutique cigar category today? Like, is it what it was? Is it, has it kind of become something completely different than what it was back in 2003 when you started? Like what's going on with that? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, it definitely has changed. I think um, when I started, uh, uh, for example, Pete Johnson was coming out with Tatuaje in the same factory, Pepin Garcia's. Uh, Oliva was a small, uh, they didn't have their own factory at the beginning. Placencia was making their cigars. And then they, um, the Oliva brothers uh, went down to Nicaragua and they started their factory. Perdomo was one of the bigger um small companies where I worked at and stuff. And I'll tell you how I, I see, I see it like two camps and it's really interesting to kind of see because when I started in 2003, boutiques weren't really doing this lifestyle positioning of the brands. Right. Mm -hmm. So I see brands where they're more like, uh, how do you put it? Like, you know, they're less talking about, uh the history uh the tradition of the industry and they're talking more about like you can see it in the packaging it's uh which is fine i i, I get it you know a lot of skulls a lot of this a lot of that 
oh my God, how many more brands do we need uh, uh, that are in reference to going crazy? You know, we have uh, quite a few of those names that came up, uh, you know. And the other thing is, which is uh, what I what I mean by this is that when I got into it, when Pete Johnson and I uh, got into it, I think I could speak for him. We were kind of both wanting to just make really good cigars that we liked. And, and he was very much like, for example, he's a guy, there's a brand that, um, you know, the guy looks uh, maybe unconventional for the industry at the time, tattoos and things like that. But he loves Cuban cigars and you can see it reflected in his packaging. You know, it's like top box, the bands, the whole thing. The name was a little bit unconventional. I go, Tatuaje, how, how are these guys going to, Americans going to pronounce that? You know, it was everything you're not supposed to do when launching a brand. Uh, obviously, he's been very successful. But at the end of the day, uh, it was about uh, a Cuban style uh, with a Nicaraguan twist, but always an emphasis on quality. And I think I see a lot of boutiques now are like, yeah, they, they might say it's quality, but it's more about the lifestyle. Like, hey, either uh, look at me, uh, I'm a tough guy with a cigar or uh, uh, more uh, rock and rollish, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, you know, and, and um, you know, that has its place. I, I personally, one of the things that I hate the most um, is uh, this, like, ridiculous rings ring gauge thing going on when i started working at perdomo he had a brand that was a joke called immenso and yeah it was like he had some that were 70 ring gauge you know seven by seven and all that i was actually around back then but it was like guys having a, a, a you know some kind of frat party or whatever you know as a joke and you know and had a picture of a accumulator with big cigar in mouth and now people are like buying these things like like being like serious, I, I don't understand that. Uh, you can smoke whatever you want. It's free country. There's no cigar police, you know, trying to be a snob about it. But these cigars, not only are they, they huge, but their price point is usually the same price you might get for like a, a Toro, a 52 or even a 60. And yet the volume of cigar tobacco inside of it is like this. Well, it's getting filled up by you know, stuff like Libre de Pie, which is stuff that we would normally discard that's just for combustion and, and to fill up a physical area. And and uh, I feel like, you know, things like Corona, there was Corona around here. This is one for Italy uh, that I'm doing. These classic sizes are kind of somewhat being lost because the quality of tobacco in that cigar and the labor is the same as making a big ring gauge. So we can put a little bit less in price, but not much. But it's not about smoking a big cigar and you're getting more. You're not. You're getting less, actually. And the the diameter of cigar is a tremendous influence on the flavor of a cigar. The ratio of filler to wrapper and things like that. Now, there's always the hardcore boutique guys are like, give me a Lancero. I want Lancero. But it's still minuscule. When I started, you know, it was pretty simple. It was like Robusto. Torpedo, six and a quarter by 50 or 52. Uh, Toro was like 50. A Churchill, 7x47, 7x48. Now it's like Robusto, but like a 54. Uh, Toro has uh, really been the main uh, size. Torpedoes have gone away because I remember in the early 2000s, people were, I don't know, sometimes you try to educate the consumer, but you can't. Their line is set to like, you know, that way. That reminds me of the, the quote by Henry Ford, which said, if I asked the customer what he wanted, he would have said a, a faster horse. Right. Uh, 
you know, or, or even Steve Jobs coming up with the applications. Uh, yes, listen to your customers, but also understand that they might not know some things like you got, you, you can help guide them to something that they didn't know was going to be better. Um, that is part of your job. And a lot of companies, I, I feel like for not trying to insult anybody, but kind of take the easy way. It's like, who cares? Give them a big cigar. I get it. It's a business. Give them a big cigar, shove whatever. And um, so that's been part of it. Uh, there was a point there in the mid 2000s where it was like full bodied uh, for a moment. And it's like, it goes through like these little, like little, like what's hot moments and things now. So I see a lot of gimmicks uh, from boutique companies, which I'm kind of surprised by in the packaging and the cigar itself. That's kind of like, okay, that's interesting. There's no other word, but gimmick, you know, it just doesn't really add to anything in a cigar. It's just kind of like, Oh, catches your eye. Oh. Um, and, uh, and, and over emphasis on, on lifestyle branding as, um, as opposed to the actual product. I'm like, if I were to say, what, what do you do? I just, I try to find, you know, factories that are up and coming. I know now people know AJ, he's humongous, making 185,000 cigars a day. When I met him with his partner at the time, uh, Chris, they were like, uh, you know, he had this little partner and sounded like, you know, uh, what's his name? Tattoo from Fantasy Island. Hello, my friend is Armenian or something. He passed away, I think, recently. Uh, that was interesting. Uh, or uh, Ping, you know, Ping was like, you opened up a little closet door in this little like space in Little Havana and they had their little cigars there. Um, Oliva was just a small building making a lot of bundles. Uh, they really, it's like to see all these people evolve, but I kind of see myself as like, uh, like almost a film producer, always keeping an eye out for what's going on. We came out with a, uh, I came out with a line for, uh, my website exclusively for the website called the Padilla Artifacto. It's made with a friend of mine, uh, from Spain. He opened up a cigar factory in Nicaragua against my advice. I told him, look, if I didn't care, I'd just say, yeah, good luck. But from my experience, like, look, it's this, it's that, and this. And the guy's sacrificed, and he's down there himself. And, you know, you've been to many factories. You know what's involved. Mm -hmm. But I like his profile. He was uh, a retailer in Spain for many, many years, many decades. So um, very organized gentleman. So I think it will have success. And so, you know, those are factories, you know, that someone didn't know. It's, it's, it's relatively easy to start a factory. It's not easy to maintain one. Uh, and, and it's not, and the hardest part of this whole business is the growing and the pre-industries, which you probably have seen when you were down there. That's where, uh, a lot of the magic is, uh, really done. I mean, it's pretty hard. It's, let me put it this way. If you have great tobacco, you're like 70% there, you know, um, the material has to be really good. You have to have access to a lot of the top growers and people know Aganorsa, but they don't know other growers or maybe quiet uh, ASP here in Miami uh, or Oliva out of Tampa, which is different than Oliva, the cigar company, you know, the, the Oliva out of Tampa is from Cuba and great growers, ASP, some of the hybrids and things that they did in Ecuador and their agronomist, um, you know, uh, with the advent of social media, uh, brands can automatically boom, you know, they're, they're here and, uh, and then they're all, you know, go down in Nicaragua, look at me, I'm here. And everybody, everybody's today seems like they're trying to be, uh, what I see from the teaks is like, like, I know more than this guy. I've got this factory and I'm on more and more cigar. And like, 
you know, you see their Instagram and it's like them and this and oh, it's a manufactured that's... kind of persona in, at times. Yeah, it's, it's it can be a bit much. I really don't put too much of the factory. I like to put this factory in a new one that's up and stuff like that. I When I'm in Miami uh, here, you know, small factory people have enjoyed me going down there and showing a little bit of the process and things. But holy cow. You know, if you like cigars, you can you you'll buy plenty of of of. Uh, can there be any more videos of people rolling cigars on the internet or people looking at tobacco? And it's like, that's great. I can see the romance to a certain extent, but um, what I've noticed during the pandemic that people enjoyed uh, is at the time uh, some of my shipping was being done in Texas, and I was there for about eight months. Uh, was I was bored, and I was in a big Texas house with a big three-car garage, and uh, I bought a hat in Ocala, Florida on my way to Texas, and I put it on with like this like poncho thing, just messing around as a joke, and turned on my Instagram and messed around, and I guess people were bored, and they were they really enjoyed watching me talk junk and uh, be silly and stuff like that. You know, it's it's cigar well, sometimes. You never, it's like people never get to hear from the people behind the brands anymore. Like there's some brands you don't even have a person that you can associate like with the brand. Like, you know, there's some might be of a brand manager, but you never associate with it. It's just a product and it's hard to connect. So for like, for people, I think what I found is that when, when people can connect with an actual person, it mm -hmm. makes them want to go out and support that brand a whole lot more. Like they want to go, they say, Oh, I saw Ernesto on Instagram live. He was really funny. He made that little funny comment. This is a guy that I would, Honestly, like the support when next time I'm in the store. Look at that guy. The next time I'm in the store now, I'm gonna look, I'm gonna look for a Padilla and and try it because I know a little bit more. I feel like I know a little bit more about the brand. I think that's yeah. where we yeah. are now in the cigar industry. Yeah, there's there absolutely it's 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 always kind of been that way before it was analog, where now it's digital, meaning there's nothing right than shaking someone's hand in person and doing that. But a lot of times, believe it or not, when you're doing these events, you don't get to connect as much sometimes as you do with technology, because with the live uh, and social media, you get to like automatically interact, hear their questions mm -hmm. where you're in an event and the reps trying to like, hey, over here and there, there, and you don't have time or a guy's just coming in for a cigar and doesn't want to be bothered by somebody trying to upsell them or whatever. So technology is really has been the big uh, game changer in our industry, like any industry, but you've taken an industry that's, you know, hundreds of years old. And now you're, you're able to uh, now see uh, um, besides the factories, but connect and hear directly from like, Hey, this cigar, you know, can you tell me about it? Or what was this about? Or directly uh, uh, communicate uh, with your end consumer. And um, that's, that's pretty part where you can start having relationships with these people uh uh, with your with your product, um, I've done it. As a guy, uh, Leisure Leaf Cigars, he reached out to me in Texas, and you know he's just an enthusiast. And and Pete Johnson's been on his uh, Instagram. I've been on his Instagram, and then they've kind of like spread the word because people might have only known the brand from being uh, big online. They're like, holy cow, I didn't know like you can you know like Fumas are great, okay, a dollar fifty, but whoa, what's up with this Padilla Miami? What's up with this Padilla eighty eight? And what's up with this? Uh, and so. Um, uh, the viral aspect to it, um, you know, I think the influencer thing, I mean, there's people like Cigar Vixen. She's been great. She does it a little differently where she does YouTube videos. Um, that was been in my experience. And I'll be honest with you. At first, I was like, 
whatever. You know, I would see her at the events. And I would like, I didn't really, uh, put it bluntly, have much respect. I was like, eh, you know, uh, and really it's before Instagram even got really that big. Um, and now you see a lot of these people, you know, I'm an influencer for cigars or I'm this. And I don't know why this generation thinks and, um, not to knock them that that's more authentic than a magazine or, 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 you know, uh, I'm sorry, people like yourself, uh, you know, in the media, I mean, uh, it's been like a, a shift and, and, and I don't kind of get it cause you know, they get sent cigars are going to be influenced sometimes, you know, yeah, they try to stay impartial, but these are not, <clears throat> you know, um, I hate the word they use professional or whatever, but you've been down to the factories. You've been down to all these different countries. She has also, by the way, cigar mix and some of these influencers now have, but you know, you've really gotten to talk to so many people that, you know, it helps for you to, um, you know, digest all this information you're getting because definitely you were just like in Honduras and Camacho and some and cigar festival and you're getting on, you know, they all are trying to influence you. We all are, you know, and like, oh, right. yeah. but, but you're able to kind of like, you know, start getting a filter where you're like, this is what I want to convey to my audience. We still don't want to, you know, insult or whatever, but you know, you, you kind of, um, with your experience are able to, uh, uh, um, present a better picture than just like, I'm, this is a Padilla 88 I'm smoking and if he'll hints of spice with this and that and get a little bit more behind, uh, you know, uh, the scenes and what's going on and, and uh, you know, distill it. I yeah, think. I feel like for me, especially I've worked in magazines, uh, I worked in the tobacco industry media wise for like 12 years now. And I found that nowadays it's harder to get someone to read something. Oh my God. You know, so it's like, if you t ask someone, it used to be like, you know, like you said, in the cigar industry, especially magazines were it. Like that's how you, people consume their information and they would go, Oh, like this person's on the cover of this magazine. Right, right. Right. And nowadays it's like you put something in front of them. And if it's more than 300 words, it's like, I can't read it. Like they skim it. They look at the pictures and they go, Oh yeah. Great article. And you're like, yeah, did you read it though? Like they're like, yeah, sure. So I feel like video and audio and even it but you you even have to chunk like chop up like videos like this into smaller segments to put some but then to digest it so i do yeah. feel like video and audio is like just simply where our whole industry is and just society in general is, is kind of going like it's just so hard and i know you've commented on it before because i used to post like oh i read this book i read this book and it's like yeah. such a rare thing for people to actually yeah, it was like read this guy like, teaching the cigar <laughs> Right. It's like so, but it's so hard to get people to, to read. <laughs> I wish I could show you all the, I don't know, it must be like, there's something like 60 boxes worth of books in the other room uh, that I need to put in. I mean, I grew up with, uh, you know, writers and whatever. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I think it's, it's great to hear an author, uh, you know, tell about his journey, you know, and what you're seeing and kind of people are missing out and you see social media. Like now it's like, uh, reels, 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 reels. Look at me. It's moving. It's moving. It's like, we're like, you know, it's like 1901 in the moving picture where people just saw like a, like a horse thing, just move across the screen. And they were like, Whoa, you know, we're, we're, ah, it's missing. Um, we're missing so, so much of that. It's, it's, it's a, it's a shame. And I, I'm, I used to read quite a, 
a lot more. And, uh, you know, it, it, it really is a shame. And, you know, so many brands, Monte Cristo, Romeo and Julieta have this literary background uh, to it. And, uh, you know, God, the, the um, lectores in, in the cigar factories, people don't know about it. You probably don't see them in Nicaragua anymore, actually. But there used to be a gentleman that used to sit there and read for the rollers and they would read novels. That's how the Monte Cristo and the Romeo and Julieta, you know, it was one of their favorites <clears throat> for the rollers. And uh, I mean, so we have this uh, tremendous history. The cigar business doesn't need uh, that much outside lifestyle. As a matter of fact, when people start getting into cigars, one of the things that I see younger people actually um uh, be interested in is the history of it. Like, wow, it's been around. Wow. And we, we dumb it down for them. We think, no, 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 kid. Okay. Look, little, little, little skulls. Oh, <laughs> black skulls and this and oh, gold foil. And we, we really dumb it down for them. And we're like, no, Hey man, listen, look at, look, this is a product that, uh, it just, transcends so much there's so much history and there's so much history and connection to the united states with cigars it's unbelievable cuba and and the united states or the or were it um uh you know you can go across the country and there were so many cigar factories employed so many people and the history of key west and then tampa and and its connections i mean Cigars are much as much of a part of American history as apple pie, and people uh, are not getting that uh, that story, that that history of it, and it's a shame uh, because it's fine. Uh, remember, lifestyle brands are like what's in, you know, at the mm -hmm. moment. Eventually, that goes away. What will never go away is the tradition and the history uh, of the industry. And people, the other day, I was on a live, and 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 you could tell as a younger guy, he was like, hey, you. Arsenio Ramos, what was he like, or you know, or what was this like? And there, I think, um, I think they are interested in 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 the legacy of the industry, you know. Um, and and I think that's going to be more and more the case with a lot of uh, um, industries. Um, you know, Porsche might be uh, a luxury brand now, but it has a racing legacy and its connection to the engineers there and this whole thing. You can keep going with it, um, and. Uh, now, hopefully we don't lose that um, as an industry. We should always be moving forward. But um, I, I think uh, we dumb it down a little bit um, for a, a new generation. Um, and then we think ah, they're not really interested in history or they're not really interested in that. It's like, really? Uh, I think if you start telling people the history of like, you know, what JFK did before he started, the, uh, we, before he was going to ban all Cuban cigars, all Cuban products, you know, and had uh, Pierre Salinger, his press secretary, go out there and buy every H. Upman Corona box that he could. So he have it himself. I mean, you go on or, you know, Monica Lewinsky with cigars. I mean, our, our industry or, or Winston Churchill, who saved the free world. I mean, this is, you know, what the, the history of my finest hour is about. His speech, you know, uh, at like a very dark time in history, you know, where he had to rally his people and, and, and all that was standing between Hitler um, and the rest of the free world. I mean, if England would have been gone, uh, invaded, we, we, the U S would have had a very hard time uh, getting back in there. So, you know, it's, it's, I think it's uh, the, I love the history of the cigar industry. Um, and, you know, there's still a big chapter yet to be written mm -hmm. and that Cuba 
and that will be uh, the next big chapter in our history. So we'll see how that goes. At this point in the show, I usually like to wrap up this part of the interview with two basic questions that I ask all the guests. So the first of those questions is, do you have a philosophy that you live by? That's a good question. You know, um, I don't like wake up and look at like, you know, you know, like I'm Socrates or Nietzsche or something, you know, uh, but uh, I, I, I try my best. Sometimes I catch myself. I make, you know, uh, kind of, you know, people don't really know me um, per se. They might just see like a certain persona. Um, I have great friends in this business, like Jonathan Drew, Sean Williams, Ambassador of Cohiba, many others, to name a few. And uh, they say, oh, Ernie's eccentric, or he's this, or he's that. Um, uh, but I, I think it's, you know, uh, be true to yourself. Uh, be true to your industry. Um, you know, uh, uh, we're all in this together more than ever as regulation, taxation, and we're, we're kept being positioned as, uh, uh, you know, demonized by the certain political class. Um, you know, but I mean, it's uh, now that I have children, you know, it's try to, don't, I, I try not to take, there's very few things in life that are worth taking serious. Very few, you know, uh, family, friends, things like that. Um, you know, cigars should not be taken so seriously. There's something to be enjoyed, um, you know, and, and uh, you know, I, I, at the end of the day, I try to make cigars. Uh, my philosophy is to make cigars from a cigar smoker's perspective. And sometimes I'm like, God, why are people smoking that? And I'm like, whatever. And like, okay, that's fine. Let them transition into, or I flavored cigars. One of my best friends is the biggest seller of flavored cigars. And if I didn't know him, if I didn't get to know him before, you know, I started my brand as a person, I would make, ah, that's a stupid acid thing or whatever. So keep an open mind about people, but, you know, do right and fear no man, I think is a very simple approach. Uh, you know, try to do, try to do good. Try, try, you know, uh, we're, we are going to screw up. No, no doubt about it. Uh, and, and don't, don't be afraid, not like, you know, afraid of this guy or afraid of that guy, but, uh, don't be afraid as corny as it may sound to, uh, to fail, you know, um, attempting, uh, something, um, you know, life goes on. I mean, sometimes on occasion, I go back and I'm like, oh, 20 years, you know, it'll be in 20 years. I'd be as many times, you know, I've gotten up and I said, okay, I'm tired of this. You know, I'm going to go sell donuts. I'm like, no, nah, you're not going to go sell donuts. <laughs> you know, there was one time I got to be honest, uh, you know, I know you set up that was like, God, it was, it was really nerve wracking. Um, uh, it, it, I don't know if I can say it, but it, well, yeah, there's no secret to it. But at the time, Oliva, this is a, was bought by a big Belgium company, Jay Cortez. And, uh, you know, Zay Oliva called me and uh, I didn't know they were going to sell. And they were doing my distribution. This was like 2014. And he called me up and he said, Pania, have a seat. And I said, <laughs> okay, what's this about? Uh, he said, look, uh, we're not going to be able to distribute the brand anymore. I go, oh, boy. You know, they had a big sales force, the whole thing. And they they brought the brand over to Europe and then did all this. And I really wanted to focus on what I enjoy, which is uh, the creative part of the industry. And, and so I, I said, OK, he says, but we're interested in buying your brand. And go. Mm. Now, I should say that my partner you don't see here is my brother. He's a silent 
he's older, he's been successful in another line of business, uh, and he invested money and, you know, was very helpful in this. But I say it was a very anxious time where, where you know, besides the fact, okay, you're not going to have distribution. It wasn't like sit on a yacht in the Mediterranean with some guy named Ivan, you know, uh, or whatever. But it was like a time like, am I really ready to move on? Um, and like, you know, I, I was like a near death experience almost, you know, I, I survived the, the recession. I, I survived all these other things. Uh, you know, I'm like still you're still struggling. You're still trying to uh, keep going. And uh, I just remember, uh, you know, one other time there have been times where, you know, um, uh, some other people mentioned about possibly buying the brand uh, online company or whatever. And uh, they were like, well, let's talk to your uh, partner, your brother there and this and that. And he was in the country at the time, got him on the phone. Yeah, offer was kind of silly. So I said, oh, sure. I think they thought that they convinced him that he was more like the business. Uh, I was more like the, the passionate guy or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, he listened quietly and he said, um, all right, great. I uh, appreciate it. Thank you for your offer. Um, uh, you know, whatever Ernesto wants to do. <laughs> and they were like, God. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, so, but he said to me once, he said, you know, Ernesto, if you're not starving, if you're not about to die, keep going. Uh, just keep going. And um that is the, uh, something I, uh, the philosophy, I, I think I would, I would say, keep going to anyone. Um, you know, if you really want anything, um, it's really simple. It, it's, I think businesses fail uh, because people give up. There are bad lucks and there are some things, you know, when it's big businesses or whatever. And many times I'm like, well, I'm exhausted. I want to move on. But my philosophy, I guess, is, uh, uh, I don't even like to say it because I don't you know, it gets old, but just, just, uh, yeah, keep going. And, 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 uh, and now think about the legacy and what you're going to leave and how you're, you know, um, uh, to yourself, your family, yeah, the people be, uh, before me, you know, I wish I could have met my, uh, uh, great grandparents who were tobacco growers in Cuba, came from Spain. And so like, wow, the brand's like continues on. And when I'm gone, this brand will still be going. Um, uh, maybe in somebody else's hands, maybe whatever. So, you know, I, I've also, you know, we, everybody has an exit strategy, everybody, whatever you can see, you know, is there something you can leave to your kids, you know, as the industry consolidates, but, um, you know, uh, to me, it's more than a business, uh, you know, it's, it's really a part of my family's history. Uh, that's, and, and the part of, uh, a legacy. So, you know, keep going. That's my philosophy. The final question for this part of the interview is, I want you to finish this sentence. So Ernesto Padilla is. Jeez, that's so kind of vague. I wish I could give you a simple answer. <laughs> uh, without, it's kind of, I don't want to sound. Uh, uh, and I, I couldn't. I don't even know if that's me, but uh, Ernesto Padilla is a fighter, you know. Uh, and uh, you know, you got to get in the ring every day, and um, that's what I do. You get in the ring every day, 
And, uh, you know, I, when I, you have your own business, you think about all kinds of things, you know, when you start your business and here in the United States, you're like, you know, you're not going to have maybe medical coverage, you know, even though there's, you know, things change the country or you're now that safety net is gone and this and, or, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, getting married and having children, that's scary as a small business owner, you know, now, you know, you might have to think about, there is no perfect time, um, you know. There is no right time. Uh, it's just the time. Uh, and so you've got to uh, you've got to uh, fight, you know, even if even if even if, quote unquote, you lose, you know, uh, whatever that definition is, you know, uh, uh, you know, I, I, you know, have the utmost respect for people who um, in a martial way, but, you know, who are. Uh, or fighters, you know, people who get up every day and uh, and do what they need to do, um, and 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 carry on, and and you know, don't forget to enjoy life. It's it's uh, while you're doing it, you know. Every once in a while, you remind yourself, you know, um, to enjoy life. Like I was in in Paris in Spain um, uh, last May, and uh, you know, it was exciting. It was it was refreshing. Yes, not as a tourist, but it was exciting to get back on track in Europe uh, where Cuban cigars have kind of slipped. And now there's an opportunity for a brand like myself, possibly others where, you know, the Europeans are like, okay, let's see what this is about. And they're like, wow, you know, non-Cuban cigars. And they, they, they've enjoyed the history. It's been interesting to see cigar smokers in different parts of the world. We sell from Israel to Mozambique to Australia uh, different parts of Europe, it's, it's, uh, and, and going into Asia that, you know, America's still home. It's still where we move the most volume, but it's been cool to see, you know, cigar smokers, uh, share the passion and share their interest. And it was nice to be, uh, uh, uh they're doing, a uh, an, uh, an interview I did for LA Amateur, the cigar, uh, in Paris and France, the cigar smoking, uh, magazine. It was really, uh, nice and uh you know walking down that morning smoking a cigar in the streets of paris going uh to do a a, a cigar magazine interview i go there's worse things to do in life you know um mm -hmm. you know but then there's times when you're in the warehouse and you got to get orders out and you're packing order you ain't a, you ain't in paris anymore buddy Just <laughs> hearing, you know to myself and uh you know uh it, it, it's been uh yeah or, or meeting some great people in uh you know, uh, become close friends in uh, in different walks of life, whether it's uh, military or things like that. That's there's been some cool things that the cigar industry's uh, uh, afforded me. If I sold, uh, you know, screwdrivers, maybe not so much. So, um, you know, so uh, uh, that's it. Uh, yeah, fighter, yeah, I guess some people say, ah, so they this and that. But uh, whatever, you know, I, I don't worry too much what uh, people think, uh, you know, um, I'm just trying to enjoy what I do and be proud of the products we put out. That says that's, uh, you know, I love designing the product from the box, the band to the product and saying, OK, this wrapper is going to go with this style of packaging and things like that. And I admire you know, other companies work, you know, Joey at Drew State, their designer over there who's done the packaging over there, always admired some other people, you know. Uh, so uh, it, it's cool. It, it's cool. I, I love smoking other brands, cigars. I love smoking cigars. I I, uh, um, uh, I don't understand not smoking other company cigars. It's not like, oh, what are they doing or whatever. But I, 
I want to see what's going on. Uh, I've seen the new Aladino uh, company come out. I think they're doing great stuff, you know, very Cuban style. The packaging is just like, what is this? It looks like a cheap Miami cigar. You know, it's terrible, whatever. You know, Corojo Reserva Especial, fan, uh, fantastic cigar. Um, you know, some other people doing some nice things. And then, you know, there's people doing uh, the lifestyle, silly names, silly stuff. That'll have its moment. You know, that comes, that goes, you know, but, uh, you know, stay the course. Don't worry. Don't try to follow trends, um, you know, to stay the course. Is my, that's my motto. Uh, great. For those people who are not watching this and they may just be listening to this, can you tell people what website they need to visit, what social media they need to visit in order to keep up with you and Padilla's um, products? Sure. So uh, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, and and uh, our website, which is getting redone, uh, is Padilla, P-A-D-I-L-L-A, cigars, plural, dot com, PadillaCigars.com. I do lives on there. Love to hear from you guys. Love to uh, see what's going on. Subscribe to our newsletter on the website. You know, there's some special products we do just for uh, the website, you know, um, and uh now, you might not see the brand too much in the American brick and mortar market. Uh, you might actually see it in some of the bigger on, uh, retailers like Total Wine. We started them in just their Texas stores or Specs Liquors or ABC Liquors. Altogether, we're talking just those three accounts are over. Well, Total Wine is 239 stores. Uh, Specs is like 140 and uh, ABC is 120. So you see a huge. But uh, two out of the three. Our, our, our family-owned businesses, interestingly enough, um, and it's been pretty cool to see them get into the cigar business and really take it seriously, and uh, that's been kind of refreshing. And, you know, still uh, Napa Cigars in California, a small retailer, we're getting a great partner, and some others. Um, I don't, now I start naming names, and people are going to be like, hey, you didn't mention me! You know, I, uh, you know but... Um, Oh, it, it, it's been cool. Some cool people, some not so cool people, to, you know, whatever. Um, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see how, uh, uh, what, what's new, what's coming out new. There's some interesting brands out there that are doing some cool stuff. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a, as a cigar smoker at the end of the day, number one, that is what I am. A, a person who's passionate about premium cigars. I smoke a lot of cigars. I enjoy cigars. That's what I do. Oh, great. Well, Thank you for coming on tonight. And for those of you who are watching, if you want to watch this episode over or you want to watch any of the other 120 some episodes, Jeez. you can do so. You could do wow. so at uh, deepcutslive.com where there are all the episodes and links to the YouTube and Instagram and all that stuff is there as well.